Hello and welcome to another edition of Bill Allen's Facebook classes. We have these studies on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. You can see them live on my Facebook page at 3 p.m. Central Time, uh, Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, that would be Central Daylight Time, of course, uh, right now anyway. And uh, Tuesdays we're looking at a devotional book by Oswald Chambers, a classic, My Utmost for His Highest. On Thursdays, the book on Psalms, The Songs of Jesus by Timothy Keller and his wife, Kathy. Both of those are daily Bible reading, by, uh, uh, devotional guides. And so uh, you'll read through the whole uh, book of the Psalms using the Keller book. Uh, Oswald Chambers just gives us some devotional thoughts from uh, day to day. And so each week on Tuesdays, we uh, look at the previous week's reading and I select a little bit of that. And so today we're going to be talking about friendship with God. Um, Chambers mentions a man in the Old Testament who was called God's friend. He actually wasn't uh, referred to that in Genesis, so there's one hint. Uh, but later on in Isaiah and, uh, and then in the New Testament, he was referred to as um, God's friend in James chapter 2. So uh, we'll take a look at that, Second uh, Chronicles 20, verse 7, and Isaiah 41, verse 8 are passages where uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of the faithful, is referred to as God's friend. And then, of course, James picks up on that, and we'll read that uh, in just a little bit. But as we begin, I'll, we'll share some thoughts from Oswald Chambers, and then we'll kind of go back to some of the scriptures that are there that speak about that and refer to uh, Abraham and including the one from James too, but a few others as well. Um, Hebrews 11 is where the uh, March 19th reading begins. He went out not knowing where he was going. Hebrews 11 is that great honor roll of faith. Uh, and I hope that uh, you have individuals that you look to as your heroes in the faith and um, some from the Bible and some from your personal life that have had an influence on you. And also, I hope that you're, you would be on someone's list. Uh, so a couple of questions today. Would you be one of those uh, that would be found on someone's honor roll of faith list? And secondly, do you think people that know you well would describe you as a friend of God? That's how they described Abraham. Um, so anyway, in Hebrews 11, one of the statements that's there is Abraham went out not knowing where he was going, looking back at that call that Abraham got in Genesis 12. Get up and go to a place and I'll tell you where. I'll, I'll let you know when you're there. <laughs> it's almost like that's what God is saying. And it's that wonderful passage with multiple blessings upon Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and blessings upon everyone through Abraham's descendant. His seed, and of course, Galatians tells us without any doubt that that is referring to a single person, seed, not seeds, de uh, descendant, not descendants, and specifically Jesus of Nazareth. In the Old Testament, a person's relationship with God was seen by the degree of separation in that person's life. When I first read that sen sentence, I thought, I don't think I understand that. Uh, and then he goes on and tells us a little bit more. This separation is exhibited in the life of Abraham by his separation from his country and his family. Okay, now I get it. 
that friendship with God is not based on you being separated from God, but it's rather in some way or another, some separation that is exhibited in your life uh, from the people and places you love. We've been sharing on Sunday mornings uh, difficult cultural topics of the day from uh, and using as a resource a book by Sarah Barrett, Stand Up, Stand Strong. And uh, one of the songs that comes to my mind every week is, uh, uh, This World Is Not My Home, I'm Just a Passing Through. Um, and uh, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That great old uh, kind of foot stomp in him that reminds us that what Chambers is saying is true. If we are going to be God's friend, then that means that we put a little bit of a limit on the things of this world, whether we're talking about places here that we love or even people that we love. To be separated mentally and morally from people's viewpoints uh, that are contrary to the will of God. And Chambers writes that that's probably what Jesus was referring to in Luke 14, verse 26 and other places, where Jesus says, you've got to love me more than your father and mother and brothers and sisters. Even some translations, you have to hate them if you're going to be my disciple. And we know that 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 relationship with Christ sometimes gets in the way of what others are expecting of us in our relationship with with them. I believe that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 that a person would do well to remain single rather than take on the responsibilities and burdens of being married because a single person can devote themselves wholly to God. I think that's the rationale there, and I think that's an incredibly true statement. And and so Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 7, some uh, have the gift of being married and some have the gift of being single. He's very clear that if you uh, can't remain sexually pure, um, then find someone to marry. But um, uh, it's interesting that 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 relationship with Christ, if we're going to be his disciple, he tells us in Luke 9, uh, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. Sometimes that denial and that uh, sacrifice involves uh, close relationships here on this earth. And Abraham was willing to do that. He was willing to pack, pick up stakes, load everybody up, Sarah, everybody and uh and and leave and leave for a place god would tell him about later living a life of faith means never knowing where exactly you're being led and i think that's what faith is right faith is not sight we live by faith not by sight paul says in second corinthians 5 that means we don't have all the answers we don't have all the information we don't know everything that's ahead we trust in the one who does Uh, Loving and knowing the one who is leading, that's what a life of faith does. Uh, It is literally a life of faith, not of understanding and reason, a life of knowing him who calls us to go, rather than knowing exactly where he's telling us we're going to land. I think that's what Job had to find out. He had to realize, come to realize that God can be trusted even if he can't be understood. Again, that's when faith is really faith. Um, 
The final stage in the life of faith is the attainment of character. And we encounter many changes in the process. Uh, the development of faith and the maturing in the life, the Christian life is not a, you go from point A, you're baptized, and you're immediately way up here. That's not, that's not it at all. It's, a, it's more of a up and down, but the ups get higher and the downs get higher too. Occasionally, there will be a, a, a pit of despair, as my family calls it, that you may fall into because of a particular difficult time in your life, a crisis like Job experienced. But you come through it. You come through it. And as you do, you, uh, you realize that your faith now has deepened. And I, and I think that's right. Um, he writes, a life of faith is not a life of one glorious mountaintop experience after another, like soaring on eagle's wings, but is a life of day in and day out consistency, a life of walking without fainting. And that really truly is what that passage in Isaiah 40 says there at the end. That last few verses talks about uh, rising up on wings like eagles. It's a dramatic statement, a wonderful chapter, in fact, Isaiah 40. Um, but again, our Christian life is going to have some mountaintop experiences, but that's not going to be every day. It's not going to be all the time. And there are going to be some lows. Um, a faith that has been tried and proved and has withstood the test is what God calls for us to have. And it's what develops our friendship with him to a more intimate and deep level. Um, Abraham is a type, uh, an example of the life of faith, a faith that's tested and true, built on the true God. Uh, Romans describes Abraham as a person who believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness, and that's a direct quote from Genesis 15, verse 6. But it's interesting that that same scripture that's used to describe Abraham as an example of, of how we have to have that trusting faith and belief in God, uh, James uses it in the same way to describe the faith of Abraham as a faith that actually works and does things. And so let's go ahead and read that verse in James 2, starting at verse 20. James 2, verse 20, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? That story from Genesis 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. I think that's the biblical idea. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Well, I think that was the difference with Abraham. He believed God and trusted God, but he acted like he did. Now, he was not perfect in that. He fell a few times, as you know. But when God called him to go, when God called him to offer up his son, and he didn't quite understand either of those, and in other places in his life, Abraham believed God and trusted God and acted on that faith, and so he was called God's friend. It's interesting that Jesus speaks about uh, his disciples being his friends. He said, I don't, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. I've shared everything with you. But he also says, you are my friends if you do what I have commanded. Many people say Jesus always, he isn't the, the, the guy of rules. That's Paul. That's the, the, the restrictions of the New Testament. That's not, the, that's not found in the Gospels. Well, that, that's just not biblical. It's just not true. In fact, Jesus says several times in the Gospel of John in those 
few chapters where he's talking with his disciples shortly before his death, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so that obedience is a part of our developing that intimate relationship with God where we can be called God's friend. That's exactly what Abraham did. Uh, his faith was made complete by what he did, just as James would later say. Uh, let's see, that would be 4,000 years after Abraham. He lived approximately 2,000 BCE, before the Common Era. And, uh, and, so, um, and, so you, or, uh, and so you go up 2,000 years, and you find James writing those words, and now here we are another 2,000 years later. And we're still talking about Abraham and his obedience of faith, so much so that he was called 4,000 years ago. Uh, God considered him his friend. One of the things that strikes me about um, Abraham and God and their friendship is uh, a passage that is found in Genesis 18, where God asks, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And that's the passage that talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah had a horrible, horrible, uh, immoral uh, state in their city. Homosexuality was rampant. And uh, God had had enough. And he was talking with Abraham, and he, he asks himself, Shall I hide from my friend? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And Abraham's own nephew, Lot, and his wife, and his daughters were there in Sodom. And God was ready to destroy it. He had had enough. That's a scary thought, isn't it? When you look around in our country today. But we're talking about Abraham and Sodom in about 2000 B.C. And so God decides that he won't. And so he tells Abraham the, the stench of their sin has reeked all the way up to my throne in heaven. And I'm done. I'm done. I'm destroying them. And Abraham pleads for Sodom like a friend would plead with a friend. No, God, you don't, you don't want to do that. Shouldn't, shouldn't the creator and Lord of the universe do right? What if, what if there are 50 righteous people <clears throat> in Sodom? Would you destroy the city, including 50 righteous people? And God said, no, I, I don't think I will. And Abraham says, well, permit me to speak again. How about 45? There's only five difference between 50 and 45. What if there are 45 righteous there? Would you destroy the city? God said, no, I would spare the city. And because of Abraham's intimate friendship with God, he continued speaking. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? If there are 10 righteous people in Sodom, would you save the city? And God said, yeah, I'll save the city. Find me 10 righteous people. I'll save it. But there were not 10 righteous people in Sodom. And God saved Abraham and uh, not Abraham, but Lot. And he was going to save his wife, but she looked back. She's the one that became a pillar of salt, as that story goes in Genesis 18. And Lot's daughters, and they were the only ones that survived. That The depth of sexual immorality uh, is seen in that. And we still have that word even, sodomy. Well, Abraham was God's friend. God talked to him about that. And he talks about his uh, plans with his friend. Uh, when you have a right standing relationship with God, you have a life of freedom 
liberty and delight. Some people don't think that. They think, oh no, I'm too constrained. I have to, I have to do God's will. I have to be obedient. I can't do the things I want and I have to do some things I don't want. But that's not true freedom. That's uh, selfishness. And, and how, do you, how do you reconcile that with what Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23, when he says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross every day and follow me. Um, the psalmist in the Old Testament, living under the, the law of Moses, said, oh, how I love your law. To the person who trusts God, who is God's friend. Uh, that relationship with God is a life of freedom, liberty, and delight in doing God's will. Doing it joyfully and doing it uh, gratefully with gratitude in our heart for the friendship we have with the creator of the universe. Uh, all of our decisions are done with him in mind and considering what God means to us and what he calls us uh, to do. Uh, you're free to make decisions in the light of a perfect and delightful friendship with God. That's what Abraham did. And that's what we can do as well. We pray to God. Uh, as a part of that communication, you know, friendship and intimacy is based on communication, shared experiences. Reading God's word, that is our relationship hearing from God. But our communication back to him is prayer. I love to pray the Psalms, and that's what we're studying on Thursdays. Uh, and, and they're great prayers. They're great songs. But many of them are spoken directly to God. And they're, they're a wonderful, wonderful part of that communication. Talking to God in prayer, seeking his will, uh, telling him how much we love him, how much our friendship with him means to us. Uh, we ask the Father uh, about the things that we need, but we're doing that not just to get stuff, but we're doing that to know his will. We're doing that to become more like him. And we're doing that to develop and cultivate that friendship. So again today, with someone who knows you, would they consider you and describe you as God's friend? I hope that they would. I look forward to being with you again on Tuesday as we continue our study through the Psalms. God bless.